Amen. Aren't you glad that he has called you daughter, that he has called you son? He's called you friend. Thanks be unto God today that we are a part of his family. I'm glad it's a declaration of his and not something that we've earned. I'm glad it comes by way of his grace and his mercy and his love. If you've got a copy of the word, open it up to the book of Matthew chapter 9. What a dynamic chapter this is, man. If you just read it from the beginning all the way down to the end, and we're going to look at the last little thought in this chapter, and we see Jesus in the fullness of his power and the fullness of who he says he is. Man, we see him uh, delivering people who are wrought with demons. We see him raising people from the dead. We see him teaching and, and preaching the gospel. We see a lady uh, just as he's going from one place of, uh, of healing to another place of raising a girl from the dead. We see a lady just grabbing the hem of his garment and finding healing from an issue that she's had all of her life. We see him remitting people's sins and, and asking paralytics to stand up and, and to take their beds and, and to walk. We see him delivering folks with demons and doing so many mighty things. And at the end, we see a, a little teaching on prayer. And man, this series... This series to me called Prayer Patterns is about giving you things that will keep your prayer life on target and on track. It's about taking a look at some principles and people in the Word of God that will help us as we begin to pray. There's a paradigm that we'll revisit over and over through this series, and it's this. The way you understand a thing will impact the way you undertake a thing. The way that you think about a thing, what you believe about it, it will directly impact the way that you undertake that thing what you do about it and how you let it uh, function and flow in your life. Uh, the way you feel about your family. Man, I'm a pastor that feels that families are important. Man, they're under assault today in the world. They're under assault in this church body. They're under assault in this neighborhood. If the devil could, he would split your home up today. He would defy mom and dad and have them going their separate ways. And, and man, he would laugh in victory over that. I believe that. I believe that family is equally important to God. That's what he works in and through is the family unit on this earth. That's what he ordained and what he set up. And man, if we believe that's true, the way we think about it will impact the way we undertake our family life. And man, as pastor and as a church, we do a few things every year. I'm, I just feel compelled to put this in here today that are family-driven and family-motivated. One is coming up. Man, I'm not saying anybody's marriage is in trouble. I'm saying everybody's marriage can improve and everybody can understand more about what it means to be a husband and more about what it means to be a wife and a parent and how to undertake those things more effectively and more efficiently. February, Valentine's Day, 12th and 13th. We've got a Fixer Upper Marriage Conference, tons of breakout sessions, a, a large group session on Friday night, a romantic Valentine's Day dinner that we're going to set out for couples. Uh, we've already had a ton sign up. We've got a few spots left, and I want you to get in there. It's the first 35 get to stay in, in, the, in the lodge with us. We may be able to get some more rooms. I don't know. But today, you'll see Randy. He's not directing traffic. He's standing back there in a traffic vest. You'll see him with his flannel on man slip out in the vestibule find him get signed up for that why because if you believe it's important it will impact the way that you undertake your family life and you'll want to know more you'll want to understand more and you'll want to do a better job as a husband and a wife it's that same way with prayer that's why i'm undertaking this series what we believe about prayer what we believe about it directly impacts the way that we undertake it the way we think about prayer will impact the way that we participate in it. 
I'm here to share some paradigms with you. Have you ever felt like this? Man, Lord, I, there's just no power in my life. I, I don't understand that. I, there's just no power. There seems to be nothing of your power in my life. Let me ask you a question. How long has it been since you prayed? Have you ever thought about this? Man, Lord, I need this in my life, and I need that in my life, and it seems like everything I need, I don't have. And, and man, the moment that I need it, it's not there. There's no provision in my life. Let me ask you this. How long has it been since you prayed? Man, you think about this, there's no evidence. I just can't feel you, Lord. There's no evidence. I can't tell you how many times I have folks say, Pastor, I just can't get a hold of God lately. I can't find Him. Let me ask you, how long has it been since you've sought Him in earnest and honest prayer until you found Him? Man, James says this. He says, you have not because you ask not. Why isn't God acting in my life? Let me ask you this. Have you been praying that He will act in your life? And I say all that to introduce this first paradigm to maybe touch the way that you understand prayer and influence the way that you undertake it. And it's this. This is what I want to center on this morning. Prayer, beloved, engages the plans and the purposes of God in our lives and in the world around us. In prayer, we somehow begin to participate in and pave the way for the accomplishing of the divine plans and purposes of God in our lives and in the world around us. Think about this. In some manner, this is what I'm saying. In some manner, God depends upon his bride to come together in prayer to open the doors for his plans and purposes. You say, be clear, Pastor. What are you saying? Well, here you go. I'm saying that there are things that he could easily do himself. There are. But there are things that he will not do until his bride comes together in prayer and asks him to do it. So how important is it that we pray? It's very important. Because God is saying, church, I stand here ready. I have plans. I have purposes. I have the power to make them come about. And what I'm waiting on is a group of people who will come to me and say, Father, we come into agreement with those plans and purposes, and we ask you to skin them out in our lives today. And he will do it. Here in the end of Matthew, we read a passage that's not often used to teach on prayer and I want to read it and I want to undertake it for just a few minutes and see if we can't skin some teaching out of us that'll, that'll maybe alter our mindset toward prayer and show us some example of this principle I've laid out in your midst it's in verse 35 of Matthew chapter 9 down through verse 38 and let's read together it says and Jesus here he is on the heels of all those things I've told you that he's done and Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And listen to this, what a statement. And healing, how many sicknesses? Gosh, what a thought. Every sickness, and, 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 and beyond that, and how many? Every disease among the people. Saying that there is nothing that I can't handle. There's not a thing in this world that I can't do. I'm all powerful, I'm almighty, sickness, disease, that's nothing to me. I have authority and power over it, all of its mind, and it dwells in and through me. Look in verse 36. But, but, he looked out and saw the multitudes. He was moved with compassion on them. Because they fainted, they were scattered abroad, and what a statement. He described them as sheep having no shepherd. He turns then unto his disciples, and he says this. I can see him almost using his hands. Boys, the harvest. I can see him pointing 
to this multitude of people to harvest out of your boys is plenty but the laborers are few verse 38 here's the thought i really am going to endeavor to to embed in your spirit today the laborers are few but he says hey listen do this for me pray pray ye that the lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers unto his harvest what is our motive in prayer why should we pray because of the cause of jesus christ because of his will his plan and his purpose because of the desires of christ himself we should pray so that they come to pass in our lives and on this earth i remind you we participate with god through prayer in the carrying out of his will on this planet i want to unpack four thoughts jesus speaks here clearly of a harvest and i want to unpack four thoughts about this harvest and make a couple of applications that'll help us in our prayer patterns number one i want you to see the subject of this harvest you see a harvest implies that you're picking something when you begin to talk about a harvest that implies that you're going out into the field and that you're returning with something in your hand now there are some times of harvest and some things when i think about a harvest that i get very excited about I love greasy cut short green beans. How many of y'all love greasy beans? Good night, man. When the greasy beans start coming in, you're looking at one pastor that's excited about the harvest, beloved, when the greasy beans come in. I had a granddad that loved roasting ears, and he would count the days. He'd go out in the garden. He'd plant it every day and see if the roasting ears were ready. And, man, on the day that he could tear a few of those ears off and, and man, prepare them and boil them and eat them, he was the happiest man on the planet. He was happy about the harvest harvest of the roasting ears i never will forget the first year that he was too old to sow a garden he was too feeble and he was in his bed the thing that disconcerted him the most was he said boys there'll be no roasting ears this year coming out of the garden he was concerned about the harvest and when you talk about a harvest you talk about a particular thing a subject well here jesus man on the heels of of all these mighty miracles after it says that he healed not a few diseases, but everyone. After he healed not a few sicknesses, but everyone. In light of his limitless power and ability, he looks out on the multitudes and the masses. He points to them and he says, they're people, boys, look at them. They're struggling, they're fainting, they're scattering, they're wondering. And what a telling phrase. He says, they're just like sheep without a shepherd. Can you imagine a more desperate creature than a sheep without a shepherd? Man, it implies that they have no security, they have no provision, they have no direction, and ultimately they have no hope. And the word says that his heart was moved with compassion for them. And he turns and says, boys, take a look at these people. And he sets them in context and calls them, look at this harvest. And church, when we talk about a harvest today, we have to understand that the harvest to the Lord Jesus Christ is always about people. And people are always precious to him. And the subject of our harvest, uh, truly the object of our prayer, when we ask the Lord for a harvest, has to be people. And we live and dwell. If you've got, not got your head in the sand, we live and dwell among a multitude of people that are wandering aimlessly, struggling, fainting, trying to make sense of it all, scattered abroad, and they have no shepherd. And we have to understand that the subject of our harvest today the aim of our ministry is people aren't you glad that the word said that jesus looked on him and that his heart was moved with compassion aren't you glad it didn't say that his heart was moved with contempt that he didn't look at him and say 
like you sorry old dog if you hadn't have made the decisions you've made and you're like aren't you glad that his heart wasn't moved with condemnation well you just are where you are and you're going to have to deal with life situations the best you can and, and, and you're never going to know me intimately I'm glad that, he, that his heart wasn't moved that way I'm glad that his heart was moved with absolute compassion and love and care and concern how many of you today can give testimony that you felt the heart of compassion of the Lord Jesus Christ in your heart and your life today I'm glad today that he's dealt with me not a according to my iniquities but according to his great loving kindness and his mercy in my life in church when we encounter the world today they don't need our condemnation they don't need our contempt what they need is to see a people of God full of the compassion that dwells in the heart of Jesus Christ and be moved to a place to understand that they are the subject they are the reason they are the harvest and when we get to glory we're gonna measure our success by how we touch the people that God cared about in this world the subject of the harvest number one I don't mean to preach this long on these I got a hustle Secondly, I want you to see the size of the harvest. Not only the subject of it, I want you to see the size of the harvest. Look in verse 37. He said, boys, gosh, look at this. The harvest is truly, indeed, for sure, plenteous. I looked up that word in, the, in every translation, that word plenteous. I looked it up in every translation. I went back and looked it up in the Greek to see what it means. You know what it means? It means plentiful. That's what it means. It means plenteous. It means it's big. I mean, it's not a small harvest. He's talking about a giant harvest. It's not an acre or two or, or maybe even ten acres. He's talking about acre after acre after acre upon multiplied acre as far as the eye can see uh, of a harvest waiting to be gathered in. I, I did my numbers again between the services. They tell me that the population of the world today is almost 7.5 billion people alive in the world at this very moment. If you think about everybody who's ever drawn breath and has gone from this earth and add them into it, if you think about if the Lord carries and more are born into this earth. Think about the, the, the magnitude of the harvest that's out there. I, I think about Revelation when he talks about the, the group around the throne. He says, man, there's a number there which no man can number. And you see, Jesus Christ looks not in a moment in time or a place in time, but he looks on all mankind, every human being. I believe his eye was going further than that multitude that was in that place in that moment. I believe his mind was seeing every man every woman and every child that had ever drawn a breath throughout history and he was saying boys would that you could see what I see the harvest is truly plentiful out there man there's a plentiful harvest let me ask you this if we pray why not pray then that God won't just give to us a small harvest we ought to pray that God will grant unto us a bountiful harvest you say pastor he doesn't do that anymore I mean, it's one day, one person at a time, one thing at a time, maybe five or six at a time, somewhere, somehow. That's a mighty move of God. And, and we're tempted in our context and in our midst to think that that's a truth today. Over the holidays, I had a chance to spend some time with my family uh, down in Old Fort, North Carolina. My dear cousin uh, found his call uh, in life as a, as a chaplain in the correctional center down there. Has a ministry called Freedom Ministry that's helping men uh, bridge out of time served in jail back into society and into life so that they don't get caught up in the same places and the same influences. He tries to help them get jobs and do things. 
He's been laboring at this for years, praying over this for years, praying. I can't tell you how often he calls me and says, Stace, would you pray that a mighty move of God will take place? We need it. We've got to have it. We're desperate. We need something in this field. We need God to do something. He came over to me as we spent some time together, and he almost couldn't tell me because of the tears that were in his eyes, but he said, I've got to try to tell you what God did this week at the Correctional Center. He said, we had a chance to do a, a one-day revival for our, our inmates there. And he said, there's three cell blocks there. We couldn't put them all in the same place, so we had to do three services in one day. He said, we prayed and prepared and, and had the mind of the Lord, and we went into cell block A just asking God to do something mighty. He said, man, we got in cell block A, and the, and the boys began to worship. And man, he said, you could feel the presence of the Holy Spirit usher in stays. And he said, man, we preached in time of testimony. And he said, we gave an invitation. And he said, without hesitation, he said, 50%, one out of two of those men in cell block A got up out of their seats, flooded to the altar. 50% either gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time or rededicated their life to the Lord Jesus Christ right there in that moment. He said, I was rejoicing beyond measure at a mighty move of the Holy Spirit of God. He said, I didn't really want to go to cell block B. I thought, God, here we are. You're moving in cell block A. Praise be unto God. He said, when service time came, I left some of them there to try to handle what was going on in cell block A because I had to go to cell block B, but my mind was still in cell block A. He said, man, I got to cell block B, and the music started. He said, about halfway through the worship, two guys laid down their heads on a table and were squalling uncontrollably at the power of the Holy Spirit that was in there. He said, man, I started to preach, and I didn't even really get to the invitation. And he said, three out of four, 75% of the men in cell block B got up and either gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time or rededicated their lives. He said, I thought, wow, here we are, God. I'm I'm on Terry in cell block B. I don't want to even go to cell block C. Those are the hardened criminals. They're not going to hear me. Those are the people that are lifers. They're never going to get out of incarceration. I'm just going to stay here where you're moving. I left as many as I could in cell block B and moved to cell block C. He said, Stace, when I got in there, before we started playing the music, men were crying and men were... Now listen, they had no idea. Cell block B didn't know what was going on in cell block A. Cell block C didn't know what was going on in cell cell block B or cell block A. He said, before we could start worship, men were crying and crying out to God. He said, we worshiped as best we could. And he said, I tried to preach a little bit, but the Lord told me to hush. And he said, listen to me, Stace, 100%, every man in cell block C either gave their heart to the Lord Jesus Christ for the first time or rededicated their life to him. He said, I saw the four leaders of the four gangs, and they're in every prison, if you know anything about incarceration. I could call their names to you. Some of them are probably already know the names of these gangs. He said, I saw the four leaders of those gangs arm in arm, down on their hands and knees, crying, asking for forgiveness and reconciliation, and giving it all over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you tell me if God is still in the business of reaping a plentiful harvest. I believe he is. He said, the warden's already calling him. He said, my phone's ringing off the hook. He's asking me. This is a state institution. 
And he's saying, the boss is already calling me, saying, what are you going to do to follow up with these men? The atmosphere of this place has changed. And beloved, I don't want it to ever go back to what it was. If you will, don't leave them. Get back in here. Tell me what you're going to do to follow up and keep this flow going in our midst. How many of y'all believe God could do a similar thing anywhere, anytime, anyplace? I'm going to ask you more than that. How many of y'all believe God could do a thing just like this right here at Trinity of Fairview? Let me tell you, there are people, they might not be behind bars out there, but they're caught up by the enemy. They, he owns them. They're in desperate straits. And what God is saying is, man, I'll move in their midst, church, if I find a group of people who are concerned enough to pray that I do something mighty and reap a bountiful harvest. The size of the harvest, man. No small harvest. He says, it is plentiful. Man, it's plentiful. I want you to see the shortcoming of the harvest. After that great statement, he makes a somber one. He says, but boys, laborers are really few. What he was saying is the only thing that's lacking in this plentiful harvest is laborers. He's saying the only thing that I really need is some people to go out and reap this harvest. The only thing that's short here is that there's just not enough people to get it done. I want you to note there wasn't a lack of logic. There wasn't a lack of power and resources. Listen, they had the Lord of the harvest. The whole point of this teaching is pivotal on the previous part of this chapter. He had all power over everything, any time, any place, any, any, anybody that confronted him, the Pharisees, when they began to question him. Anybody that can say to a man, your sins are forgiven you, he does not need any help in the harvest. But yet he's saying, man, the only thing I lack is some laborers. You say, Pastor, the work will get done. It'll get done. What if we hear the words of the Lord? He says, no, man, we're lacking. What we're lacking is, is laborers. We need folk to go out. Can you imagine the worker looking to the left and all he can see is field, looking to the right and all he can see is field, looking in front, all he can see is field, looking behind and he's barely made a dent. I think about housewives cleaning houses, and I think about my dear wife. How many of y'all know house cleaning is a never-ending undertaking? Tom says, no, he's not. I don't know anything about that. I like that, brother. That's good. Never ends. I think about my dear wife. She's got it just right. Here I come in the door with mud all over my shoes, throwing my clothes everywhere, grabbing popcorn, putting it in the microwave, pouring drinks, man, putting stuff in the sink. And I know she's got to be thinking, my soul stays. Couldn't you let it stay clean for 10 minutes before I had to start over again? Never ending. And sometimes we get frustrated because we look and we see the possibilities. And as a pastor, I look around and I, and I see the possibilities. I see the probabilities. I see what God would do. And I understand the only thing that's really lacking is folk. Folk to go get involved. Folk to undertake it in the place that God's called them to and to, and to make sure that the harvest comes in. I want to move on. Fourthly, I want you to see the solution. The size, the subject, yes, is people. Size, it's plentiful. The shortcoming that he points out, he says, there are no laborers. But I want you to see the solution. Verse 38 says this. I love it. He says, man, boys, Pray. Begin to pray, if you will. We're lacking laborers. And let me tell you the solution. Begin to pray. Begin to pray. I find it interesting, and, and I'm not stepping on any, any toes. Listen, we do this. I'm all for recruitment. I'm all for promotion. But I find it interesting that they didn't say, let's go recruit some people. 
I find it interesting that he didn't turn to 12 and say, hey, go downtown Capernaum over there. Run back to Capernaum and see if you can't find a few people to come out and help us share the gospel with these folks. I find it interesting that he didn't say, hey, in our own vernacular, hey, let's jump on Facebook and let's jump on and let's make us a good video and, and let's convict the hearts of the people and let's put it out there and maybe we'll get some folk to come and help us share the gospel with these folks. I find it interesting that he didn't say, hey, man, let's set a requirement on church membership that you have to labor. And if you don't lead four people to the Lord in the first year that you're here, then we're going to remove you from the church roll. Let's put a requirement on some folk so that they'll come out and join us in this harvest. I find it interesting to say that he didn't say, let's beg. Let's just beg until some people get out there. He didn't stand back and say, well, let's throw our hands up and just hope that some folk come by that will help us in this harvest. No, he said, hey, let's pray. Let's begin to pray. He said, boys, if you will, pray, pray, pray. I'm here to tell you the only laborers who will stay with anything are those who are called by the Lord of the harvest. Did you hear what I said? The only people who will labor and labor and labor are people that the Lord of the harvest has called and placed in that position. My dear dad tells me all the time, son, anybody that pastors a church is one of two things. They're either crazy or they're called. Because the only way you'll stay with it is if you're crazy or if you're called. And the same's true in your life. You go let somebody, man, uh, make you do something or, or feel like if I don't do it, it won't get done. And you start plugging into it. It's the most miserable place you'll ever be in your life. And the only way you'll ever stay with something is when the Lord of the harvest reaches out and says, Hey, I'm taking you and I'm putting you right here. So why God... Why did he just not do that? I want you to see what's going on here. Here is, think about this. Here's the Lord of the harvest. Didn't he say pray unto the Lord of the harvest? Who was he talking about? He's talking about himself. Here's the Lord of the harvest, looking out on the harvest, understanding the nature of the harvest, understanding the need of the harvest, understand the lack of people working in the harvest. Here's a guy that has all authority over demons, over, over sickness, over disease. He's the most smart person I've ever seen confronting the Pharisees. He is truth. He knows all and is the end of all. And here he says to these boys, he could have took care of it himself. And here he says to these boys, but I want you to pray. Almost indicating that if you don't, then man, I'll be standing here ready to send people to the harvest and you hadn't engaged that desire in my life through prayer. How important is it that we pray? Because here's the Lord of the harvest in your life saying to you, there's stuff I do in your life. I stand ready to do it. There's plans and purposes that I have set before you I have them in my heart from the foundation of the world. I stand ready and waiting to do this in your life. And all I'm waiting on is you to get to the place to bow your head and say, Father, I need this in my life. Would you do it? Church, I believe he stands ready today to send a revival the like of which we've never experienced in our life. It's my heart's desire to be a part of such a move of God. And I believe what he is waiting on is a group of people somewhere as desperate for it to come as he is to send it. And I believe when we get in a place of agreement and we assault the throne of God according to his will and purpose, that he will act in our midst. Today, in way of application, our responsibility is twofold. Get involved in the harvest. Get involved. Pray and ask God what it is he needs you to do.
to be involved in the harvest. I've given you so many opportunities here, and I'm going to keep giving them to you. I challenged you back in October with this one little thought for 2016. During your fasting time and your time of prayer, one of your motivations ought to be this. God, send me one family. Send our family one family. Now, the, the, the implied requirement is get your family involved first, okay? And then pray, God, give me one more family, a lost family that I could sow the gospel of Jesus Christ into, a lost family that I could see come to know the Lord Jesus Christ, maybe an unchurched family that's been out a long time. Listen, there's people, if you've been around church any time at all, you understand it'll hurt you. And there's people out there that's been hurt and had a bad church experience. What they need is a good church experience where folks are, are just come out and love them for who they are and say, man, we want you to be a part of what God's got going on in our midst and usher them back into the body of the Lord Jesus Christ where they can serve and be used by him. One, 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 one family reaching one family in one year's time. Just pray, Lord. How about missions opportunities? How about small group? Last week we had how many? Three, three. 336 adults, adults, in our small group ministry right here at Trinity Fairview last week. That's giant. There's room for more. Come and be a part of it. You'll never know the ministry opportunities that will come to you just by being involved in a part of a small group right here. You'll never know the growth that you'll have just by being a part. Go try it. The 24th, we're hoping to up that record and break it and have the highest attendance we could ever imagine. Come and try a small group. Be a part of it. Daily share and live the gospel in the workplace, in the school. Let me tell you something, children, college students, workers, the field is white with harvest. The harvest is plenteous. And what he's after is you to get involved with it. That's the application today. Secondly, pray for more to do so. What an understanding. He was about to send those 12 out there. And they were going to see just how alone they were in this harvest and just how much help they needed. And he was telling them, when you get out there and you understand it, just pray. And I'll send you some more laborers alongside you. So you get involved in labor. Then begin to pray as you're involved and say, Father, send some more people to get involved in this mighty move of God that's going on. Prayer, beloved, is the connecting with the divine heart of God. There's a guy that said this. He's not too smart. But you can write it down if you want to. Prayer is the connecting with the divine heart of God in His perfect will to move the divine hand of God in this present world. That's what prayer is. I'm going to read it to you again. Prayer is the connecting with the divine heart of God in His perfect will to move the divine hand of God in this present world. That's what prayer is. I asked you in the beginning, man, you say, does God really depend upon the prayers of his people? Let me tell you, there's some things. There's some things that God is ready to do. But he will not do until his people come together and agree in prayer. Man, we should pray. When you begin to understand that about prayer, it'll impact the way that you undertake prayer in your life. Praying the will and the purposes of God. He says, if you have not, because you ask not. If any two can agree as touching any one thing, that's the thing I'm going to do. John 14, 14, if you ask anything in my name, I will do it. How about 2 Chronicles 7, 14? If, he says, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I'm going to hear and I'm going to send a great revival to their land. It depends upon prayer, this moving of God. Prayer is the grandest aim and the greatest application 
and the carrying out of the divine will and purpose of God. Folk, do you really believe that you somehow participate in the divine outworking of God's will when you pray? If you do, it'll change the way you undertake prayer in your life. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes right where you are. And I'm going to ask Vinny if he's still in the house anywhere. I'm going to ask him to come and give us a little covering. and We're going to be here for just three, two or three minutes, and, and then we're going to cut you loose. I just wonder today with your heads bowed and your eyes closed if somebody in the house would say, Pastor, would you help me? Let me tell you the one thing the enemy is going to put a, a roadblock in your way every time you try to do is when you begin to really earnestly try to find the will of God in prayer and then, and then pray it so that it will come to pass. Let me tell you, that's the last thing the enemy wants you doing is praying and seeing the plans of God further in your life. So how many of y'all are out there and you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me this week as I endeavor to pray differently? How many of y'all would say, hey, listen, I want to pray differently than I ever have. I want to pray with a new understanding that, man, it, uh, prayer accomplishes things. It ushers in the will and the purpose of God in my life and in this world. I'm going to pray differently, Pastor. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe there's somebody here that would like to join this church. I would ask that you come right now as Vinny's covering us with some praise. Maybe you'd like some information on how to be a part of this body. Maybe the Holy Spirit has pricked your heart right where you are and said this is the body that you need to serve in. Come, we'll give you all the information we have on how you can become a part of this body right here. Maybe you're here today and, and you just want to be a part of the kingdom of God. Maybe you're one of those folks out in the field wondering and you feel so lost and, and you don't know which way to turn and you feel like a sheep without a shepherd. Let me tell you, there is one named Jesus Christ. The Bible calls him the good shepherd. The Bible says that he loved you so much that he laid down his life for you. The Bible says that he not only laid it down for you, but by his very own power and authority, he took it up again three days later, victorious over death, hell, and the grave. The Word says that he ascended to the right hand of the Father and that he's now there making intercession for the saints that he loves so much. The Word tells me that one day he's going to return and he's going to gather unto himself all those that belong to him and we're going to abide with him throughout all eternity. Let me tell you how you can be a part of that. Just come. Confess your sin and your shortcoming to him. Man, he'll forgive you to the uttermost. He'll fill you with his Holy Spirit and birth you into the kingdom of God. So today, maybe you're here and you're lost, and today's your day to make some kind of move. I would invite you to not tarry, but slip out of your seats and come to this place. I'm going to breathe a word of prayer, and after that, I'm going to let this young family that I love so much come up here. We're going to let Adam uh, speak to you about them. And know that I love you, and what a dynamic privilege as a pastor. It is to preach a message in a series on prayer. And know that there are people here who are called and committed to the undertaking of such an action. I want you to pray. I got a call from a dear sister. We came into agreement, my spirit and hers, on Saturday morning. That God's going to birth a, a kind of, a, not a prayer ministry, but a kind of a prayer movement right here at Trinity of Fairview. The like of which we've never seen. And I'm going to tell you in these last days what the church can do and must do is pray. So man, you be looking for details about that and be praying if God would have you be a part of it. 
Because I believe it's going to be something that I don't even understand and you don't even understand, but it's going to be dynamic. And it's going to bring about the will and purpose of God even more in our midst. Let's pray. Father, how we love you, how we thank you today for the presence of the Holy Spirit in this house. We are privileged to have felt you and do feel you in and among us. Lord, we thank you for what you have called us. My mind goes back to that song. We are exactly what you said we are. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the children of God. And make no mistake, children of God are we. Thank you, Jesus, for that work in our hearts and our lives. I pray for these who raised their hand and said, I'm just going to pray differently this week, Pastor. I I want you to fill them, Holy Spirit, afresh and anew from the top of their head to the soles of their feet. I bind the enemy in the name of Jesus from these 21 days of corporate fasting and praying. Lord, I pray that you hear the cries of your people, and I believe that you're going to respond from heaven in a real and a mighty way. Lord, for this young family that's been with us and is a part of our family, going to join with us formally, I thank you for them this morning. Lord, we trust you and praise you now for everything that we need. In Jesus' name, amen.